I had now been with him eleven months, which had passed in one continued rapid stream of delight, but nothing so violent was ever made to last. Then the mortal, the unexpected blow of separation fell upon us. Charles' father, on the pretext that it was necessary to secure a considerable inheritance that devolved to him by the death of a rich uncle in the South Seas, had, unknown to Charles, struck a bargain with the captain of a ship to carry him thence. Whilst Charles thought he was going down the river for a few hours, he was held on board the ship, debarred from writing and more strictly watched than a state criminal. Thus was the idol of my soul torn from me and forced on a long voyage without taking leave of me. The maid who brought me this intelligence told me that he was sent away at least on a four years voyage and that I could not expect in reason ever to see him again. She had hardly finished her report before I fainted away. I lay six weeks in the struggles of a youthful and healthy constitution against the deliverance of death which I constantly invoked. But I recovered at length, though into a state of stupefaction and despair that threatened me with a loss of my senses and a madhouse. The landlady had all this while officiously provided and taken care that I wanted for nothing. But as soon as she saw me recovered into a condition of answering her purpose, she congratulated me on my recovery by way of introduction to a most terrible and scurvy epilogue. She presented me with a bill of arrears for rent, diet, apothecaries, charges, nurse, etc., and told me very coolly that she was indeed sorry for my misfortunes, but that she must do herself justice, though it would go to the very heart of her to send such a tender young creature to prison. At the word prison, every drop of my blood chilled, and I was on the point of swooning. My landlady, who wanted only to terrify me to a certain point, began to soothe me again, and told me in a tone comprised of more pity and gentleness that she believed there was a friend to be found who would make up matters to both our satisfactions, and that she would bring him to drink tea with us that very afternoon. Upon which, without waiting for a reply, she goes out and returns with this very honourable gentleman, whose very honourable procuress she had been on this as well as other occasions. The gentleman, on his entering the room, made me a very civil bow, which I had scarce strength or presence of mind enough to return a curtsy to. Come, Miss Fanny, says the landlady, in a coarse, familiar style and tone of authority, hold up your head, child and do not let sorrow spoil that pretty face of yours. Come, here is a worthy gentleman who has heard of your misfortunes and is willing to serve you. Do not now stand upon your punctilios and this and that, but make your market while you may. At this so delicate and eloquent harangue, the gentleman who saw I look frighted and amazed, and indeed incapable of answering, offered before my face that instant to discharge my debt entirely to my landlady and give me her receipt in full, after which I should be at liberty either to reject or grant his suit. Whilst he was exposing his sentiments to me, I ventured just to look up to him and observed his figure, which was that of a very sightly gentleman, well made of about forty, dressed in a suit of plain clothes with a large diamond ring on one of his fingers, the luster of which played in my eyes as he waved his hand in talking and raised my notions of his importance. The gentleman, no novice in affairs of this sort, 
drew near me, and under the pretense of comforting me, first with his handkerchief dried my tears as they ran down my cheeks. Presently he ventured to kiss me. I considered myself so much in his debt that I endured his kisses and embraces without struggles or anger. At supper he told me that his name was H, brother to the Earl of L. I had now got down at most half a partridge and three or four glasses of wine, which he compelled me to drink by way of restoring my strength. But whether there was anything extraordinary put into the wine, or whether there lacked nothing to revive the natural warmth of my constitution, I began no longer to look with that constraint, not to say disgust, on Mr. H., which I had hitherto done. There are not, on earth at least, eternal griefs. Mine were, if not in an end, at least suspended. I wept a little, and my tears relieved me. I sighed, and my sighs pressed me, my countenance at least more composed and free. Mr. H., who had watched and perhaps brought on this change, knew too well not to seize it. He thrust the table imperceptibly from between us, and bringing his chair to face me, he soon began, after preparing me by all the endearments of assurances and protestations, to lay hold of my hands, to kiss me, and to make free with my bosom, which, being at full liberty from the disorder of a loose dishabille, now panted and throbbed, less with indignation than with fear and bashfulness at being used so familiarly by one still a stranger. I gently complained and begged him to let me alone. However, as he saw there was more form and ceremony in my resistance than good earnest, he made his condition for desisting from pursuing his point that I should be put instantly to bed and that he would return in an hour. Mr. H. opened my room door softly and came in, now undressed in his nightgown and cap with two lighted wax candles. Bolting the door, he came a tiptoe to the bedside and said with a gentle whisper, Pray, my dear, do not be startled. I will be very tender and kind to you. He then hurried off his clothes. He kept the candles burning, no doubt, for the satisfaction of every sense, for as soon as he had kissed me, he rolled down the bedclothes and seemed transported with the view of all my person at full length, which he covered with a profusion of kisses, sparing no part of me. Then he drew up his shirt and bared his truncheon. I felt it pressing close to me, and soon he had driven the nail up to the head. I had it now, I felt it now, beginning to drive, he gave nature such a powerful summons down to her favorite quarters that all my animal spirits rushed mechanically to that center of attraction. Presently, inly warmed and stirred as I was beyond bearing, I lost all restraint and yielding to the force of the emotion, gave down as mere woman those effusions of pleasure which, in the strictness of still faithful love, I could have wished to have held up. Sensible of the virtues of his firm texture of limbs, his square shoulders, broad chest, compact, hard muscles, in short, a system of manliness that might pass for no bad image of our ancient sturdy barons when they wielded the battle-axe. Yet, oh, what an immense difference did I feel between this impression of a pleasure merely animal and struck out of the collision of the sexes by bodily effect from that sweet fury, that rage of active delight which crowns the enjoyment of a mutual love passion 
where two hearts tenderly and truly united join to exalt the supreme joy and give it spirit and soul. Mr. H., whom no distinctions of that sort seemed to disturb, scarce gave himself or me breathing time from the last encounter, but in a few minutes he was in a condition for renewing the onset, to which, preluding with a storm of kisses, he drove the same course as before with unabated fervour, and thus, in repeated engagements, kept me constantly in exercise till dawn of morning. Mr. H. acquainted me that, having taken a solid, sincere affection to me, he would begin by removing me out of a house which must, for many reasons, be irksome and disagreeable to me, into convenient lodgings where he would take all imaginable care of me. As soon as he was gone, I felt the usual consequence of the first launch into vice, for my love attachment to Charles never appeared to me in that light. I was instantly borne away down the stream without making back to the shore. I now thought of my first, my only love, with tenderness and regret, embittered with the consciousness that I was no longer worthy of him. I could have begged my bread with him all over the world. But wretch that I was, I had neither the virtue nor courage not to outlive my separation from him. Mr. H.'s liberal liking led him to make his court to the usual vanity of our sex. Silks, laces, earrings, in short, all the trinkets and articles of dress were lavishly heaped upon me, which, if it did not create return of love, forced a kind of grateful fondness, something like love, a distinction it would be spoiling the pleasure of nine-tenths of the keepers in the town to make, and is, I suppose, the very good reason why so few of them ever do make it. I had now lived near seven months with Mr. H., when one day I returned to my lodgings from a visit in the neighborhood where I used to stay longer. Whilst I was untying my hat-strings, I fancied I heard my maid Hannah's voice and a sort of tussle, which raised my curiosity. I stole softly to the door, where a knot in the wood had been slipped out and afforded a very command agitation, the actors of which had been too earnestly employed to hear me opening my door. The first sight that struck me was Mr. H. pulling and hauling this coarse country strammel towards a couch that stood in a corner, to which the girl made only a sort of awkward resistance, crying out so loud that I, who listened at the door, could scarce hear her. Pray, sir, don't. Oh, let me alone. Oh, you cannot sure demean yourself with such a poor body as I. Lord, sir, my mistress may come home. Oh, I must not indeed. I will cry out all of which did not hinder her from being brought to the foot of the couch, on which a push of no mighty violence served to give her a very easy fall. She, no doubt, thought it was time to give up the argument, and that all further defence would be vain. He came out with his drawn weapon, and seemed to find a less difficult entrance than perhaps he had flattered himself with. As for the wench, scarce eight and forty hours were gone before her insolence on what had passed between Mr. H. and her gave me reason to turn her out. I determined to push my revenge farther and repay him as exactly as I could in the same coin. 
nor was this worthy act of justice long delayed. Mr. H. had, about a fortnight before, taken into his service a tenant's son, just come out of the country, whose chief employer was to bring and carry letters or messages between his master and me. He was a very handsome young lad, and a good excuse for any woman's liking, even if revenge had been out of the question. In order, then, to pave the way for the accomplishment of my scheme, for two or three times that the young fellow came to me with messages, I managed to have him admitted to my bedside or brought to me at my toilet where I was dressing, and by carelessly showing or letting him see, as if without meaning or design, sometimes my bosom rather more bare than it should be, sometimes my hair, of which I had a very fine head in the natural flow of it while combing, sometimes a neat leg, that had unfortunately slipped its garter, which I made no scruple of tying before him, easily gave him the impressions favorable to my purpose, which I could perceive to sparkle in his eyes and glow in his cheeks. Then certain slight squeezes by the hand, as I took letters from him, did the business completely. When I thought I had sufficiently ripened him for the laudable point I had in view, one day, when I expected him at a particular hour, I took care to have the coast clear for the reception I designed. I was lying at length upon that very couch, the scene of Mr. H.'s polite joys, in an undress which was with all the art of negligence flowing loose and in a most tempting disorder. I bid him come towards me and give me his letter, at the same time throwing down carelessly a book I had in my hands. He coloured and came within reach of delivering me the letter, which he held out awkwardly enough for me to take with his eyes riveted on my bosom, which was, through the design disorder of my kerchief, sufficiently bare and rather shaded than hid. I, smiling in his face, took the letter and immediately catching hold of his shirt sleeve drew him towards me blushing and almost trembling. His body was now conveniently inclined towards me, and carrying his hand to my breast, I pressed it tenderly to him. They were now finely furnished and raised in flesh, so that panting with desire, they rose and fell in quick heaves under his touch. At this, the boy's eyes began to lighten with all the fires of inflamed nature, and his cheeks flushed with a deep scarlet, tongue-tied with joy, rapture, and bashfulness, he could not speak. My lips, which I threw in his way so that he could not escape kissing them, fixed, fired, and emboldened him. And now, glancing my eyes towards that part of his dress which covered the essential object of enjoyment, I plainly discovered the swell and commotion there. And as I was now too far advanced to stop and was indeed no longer able to contain myself, I stole my hand upon his thighs, down one of which I could both see and feel a stiff, hard body confined by his breeches that my fingers could discover no end to. Curious, then, and eager to unfold so alarming a mystery, I played, as it were, with his buttons, which were bursting ripe from the active force within. Those of his waistband and foreflap flew open at a touch. When out, it started. And now, disengaged from the breeches, I saw with wonder and surprise. What? 
Not the placing of a boy, not the weapon of a man, but a maypole of so enormous a standard that had proportions been observed, it must have belonged to a young giant. Its prodigious size made me shrink again, yet I could not without pleasure behold and even venture to feel such a length, such a breadth of animated ivory, perfectly well turned and fashioned, with smooth polish and velvet softness and exquisite whiteness. Then the broad and bluish casted incarnate of the head and blue serpentines of its veins altogether composed the most striking assemblage of figures and colors in nature. In short, it stood an object of terror and delight. But what was yet more surprising, the owner of this natural curiosity was hitherto an absolute stranger, in practice at least, to the use of all that manhood he was so nobly stocked with. And it now fell to my lot to stand his first trial of it, if I could resolve to run the risks of its disproportion to that tender part of me, which such an oversized machine was very fit to lay in ruins although in truth I never yet heard of a mortal wound given in these parts by man's natural weapon. But it was now too late to deliberate, for by this time the young fellow overheated and too high metal to be longer curved in by that modesty and awe which had hitherto restrained him, ventured under the strong impulse and instructive prompting of nature to slip his hands, trembling with eager impetuous desires under my petticoats, and seeing, I suppose, nothing extremely severe in my looks to stop or discourage him, he feels out and seizes gently the center spot of his ardors. Oh, then the fiery touch of his fingers determines me, and my fears melting away before the glowing intolerable heat, my thighs disclose of themselves and yield all liberty to his hand. And now a favorable movement, giving my petticoats a toss. The avenue lay too fair, too open to be missed. He is now upon me. I guided gently with my hand this furious engine to where my young novice was now to be taught his first lesson of pleasure. By my direction, the head of his unwieldy machine was so critically pointed that feeling him against the tender opening, a favorable motion from me met his timely thrust by which he gained a lodgment. Here he stuck, and I now felt such a mixture of pleasure and pain as there is no giving a definition of. I could not bear either to keep or part with him. I cried out gently, Oh, my dear, you hurt me. This was enough to check the respectful boy even in his mid-career, and he immediately drew out the sweet cause of my complaint, whilst his eyes eloquently expressed at once his grief for hurting me and his reluctance at dislodging from quarters of which the warmth and closeness had given him a gust of pleasure that he was now desire-mad to satisfy. More and more fired with the object before me, as it still stood with the fiercest pride, unbonneted and displaying its broad vermilion head, 
I first gave the youth a re-encouraging kiss and soon replaced myself in a posture to receive at all risks the renewed invasion, which he did not delay an instant. For being presently remounted, I once more felt him forcing an entrance, which he achieved rather easier than before. Pained, however, as I was, I took care not to complain. In the meantime, the soft passage gradually loosens, yields, and stretched to its utmost bearing by the thick and driven engine, let him in about halfway, when all the most nervous activity he now exerted to further his penetration gained him not an inch of his purpose, for whilst he hesitated there, the crisis of pleasure overtook him. I expected then, but without wishing it, that he would draw, but was pleasantly disappointed. The well-made youth, hot-mettled and flush with genial juices, was now fairly in for making me know my driver. He still kept his post, yet unsated with enjoyment. He had not once unsheathed, and he proceeded afresh to cleave and open to himself an entire entry into me. He pierces, penetrates, and at length, winning his way inch by inch, gets entirely in, and finally a mighty thrust sheaths it up to the guard. The eyes of the transported youth sparkled with joyous fires, and all his looks and motions acknowledged excess of pleasure, which I now began to share, for I felt him in my very vitals. I was quite sick with delight stirred beyond bearing with its furious agitations within me, and gorged and crammed even to surfeit. Thus I lay gasping, panting under him, till his broken breathings, faltering accents, eyes twinkling with humid fires and lunges more furious, led me to hail the approaches of a second period. It came, and sweet youth, overpowered with the ecstasy, died away in my arms, melting in a flood that shot genial warmth into the innermost recesses of my body, every conduit of which, dedicated to that pleasure, was on flow to mix with it. Thus we continued for some moments, lost, breathless, senseless of everything, 